Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time in your word. And we thank you for Psalm 121 and the encouragement that it gives us. We pray that as we spend time studying it, looking at it, that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most popular game shows of all time has to be Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Uh, Maybe you've watched some of the episodes. I remember watching some of the older ones. Regis Philbin is the host, and you have a contestant trying to answer a series of increasingly difficult questions that get harder and harder and are worth more and more money. And the more they answer, the more money they get, all with the goal of making it to a million dollars. Answer one question wrong, though, and it's all over. Get all the way through, a million dollars. Pretty good. Of course, one of the most fun parts about watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire has to be the lifelines. When people use them, how they use them, do they get them right or wrong after they use the lifelines? And of course, they got several they could use, a 50-50 where the number of choices for the answer gets cut in half. Ask the audience where they would poll everyone and see what the audience thought. Phoning a friend, seeing if they could give some advice. Sometimes it would help them when they got, when they got in a jam. Sometimes it would work. Other times it would be a spectacular failure. Always entertaining, though. But I can imagine how much pressure that had to be, being one of those contestants on TV, in that moment, with a million dollars at stake, not knowing the answer, and having to decide what to do. Because in those moments, the contestants had to decide where they would go, what they would do when the going got tough. What they would do, where they would go, when they needed help. Psalm 121 is a psalm about help. Where do we go when we need help? So there are times in every one of our lives when we need help. Sometimes they're big things, sometimes they're small things, but certainly for every one of us, at some point in our lives, we need help. Might be in the practical things. That's often the case, isn't it? Your car breaks down, you need a recommendation for a good, honest mechanic. Or you need help deciding which league to sign your kids up this season. We need help in the practical things, surely. But oftentimes, there's the bigger, deeper decisions that we need to make and we need help with. Big decisions about a job or a relationship. 
how to parent and raise up children to know and love the Lord. How we should spend and think about our money in a healthy, godly way. We need help in these big decisions too, don't we? But then we take a look at our world and we realize that we need help with some of these big societal, worldwide issues that weigh on our hearts. War, hunger, injustice. They, these things weigh on our hearts and we need help knowing how to deal with it, yes, but also how to cope with that weight. We need help, don't we? But I wonder that where the rubber meets the road most of all is those personal, soul-level challenges that we face. The soul-level burdens that every one of us at some level carries. Medical and health challenges, grief, loss of those we love, issues in relationships and family, financial challenges, Maybe it's even spiritual dryness, spiritual darkness. We need help in those things for sure. But in these challenges we face, we don't just need practical help. We do, but, and as good as it is, we need more than practical help because the deeper the challenge is, the more I think we realize that we need help for our souls. And where does that come from? Where do we get soul-level help? Where can we get the help that our souls so desperately need? And so we come to Psalm 121. And in this psalm, the difficulties and the challenges we face are met with the deep truths about who God is and how he works and what he's done for us. Psalm 121, it's a song for the traveler. It's a psalm for someone who's on the journey. It's the imagery that the psalm brings out. I lift my eyes to the hills. Someone looking out on the road ahead. It talks about feet being moved, sun by day and moon at night. It speaks of coming and going. It's a song for the journey, for the traveler. This is our second week in our series on the Psalms of Ascents. A series we're calling A Journey to God. The Psalms of Ascents are this group of psalms, there's 15 of them, 120 to 134, that are all grouped under this label, a song of ascents. They're moving upward, they're ascending, they're they're going somewhere, they're going higher. And of course there are different possibilities of what these were used for, but perhaps, and especially as we look at Psalm 121, It seems most likely that these were sung by travelers, pilgrims, on their way on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So these psalms are not just for the traveler then, but they're meant to help us on the journey today as well. They're meant to take us on a journey to God. And the way these psalms do this is by taking the way we feel and meeting those emotions with the deep truths about God. And so they're meant to move us forward, upward, on a journey to God. Last week, Pastor Josh preached on Psalm 120, where the psalmist was stuck in a faraway place. Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesek, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. He was stuck in a faraway place, but now he's on the move. And as he moves, as he journeys, he considers his help. Where do I go for the deep, soul-level help that I need? 
And in short, this psalm tells us to go to God for help since he is worthy of your confidence. Go to God for help since he's worthy of your confidence. It starts off in verses 1 to 2, and the psalmist tells us to go to God for help. It starts off with a question. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It's the image of the psalmist journeying on the road to Jerusalem, which was situated in the hills up in the mountains, and so the journey would have meant a constant gaze fixed on the horizon of those hills. There are different possibilities for what the hills represent. It could simply mean the challenges and difficulties of traveling uphill on an extended journey, or maybe even the potential dangers and twists and turns of the road. Could even be potential pitfalls that might lie on the way, robbers, bandits, or maybe even speaking to shrines and temples to false gods that were often cradled in the hills. Whatever the case, it's clear that the psalmist, this traveler, gazes up to the hills, sees the challenges that are ahead, recognizes his need for help, and so he asks. This is the first question we have to ask as well. It's the hardest thing to do sometimes, isn't it? To ask for help? The fact that the psalmist is asking where his help comes from implies that he knows he needs help, and so he asks, but this first bit is the most difficult most of the time, isn't it? I notice my own resistance to asking for help when I have to go to Home Depot. Maybe I'm the only one, but I might just be looking for one simple thing, but it seems like I'd rather walk around the store once, twice, or even three times looking on my own rather than ask someone in an orange apron for help. I just don't want to ask for help. (laughs) Or sometimes it's at the jewel checkout line when I've got all my things and I'm at the self-checkout and I'm checking things out and something goes wrong on the screen and I can't ring up my zucchini right. And the last thing I want to do is hit that yellow button that says call attendant. The last thing I want to do is ask for help. Why is it so hard to ask for help? I think at least one of the reasons is that we we love to be self-sufficient, don't we? We love to have a big view of ourselves. I've got this on my own. I can do this. I can pull myself out on my own. If I just put my nose to the grindstone a little more, it'll all work out. We love to help ourselves. It's the American way person who pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps and makes a life for themselves. We love hard work, and we love to emulate those who simply never quit. At one level, this is all fine and good. We need to work hard. There's certainly a responsibility we have to work hard, but I wonder if somewhere in there we may have even gotten the idea ingrained in our minds that It's not just us who help ourselves, but it's God helps those who help themselves. If I just work a little harder, then God will bless me. If I just push a little more, then God will be pleased with me. But God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who know they need help. Who ask for it. Have we forgotten just how needy we are? I wonder if this is the case, because the difficulties surely do come, don't they? 
the challenges don't hold back, the road often gets rocky beyond belief. It does. And there's something just about being in the midst of the mountains, in the midst of the hills, that we realize just how small we actually are. There's something about being in the midst of our neediness and looking up and simply saying, I need help. Maybe it's hard to ask for help because we have a big view of ourselves, but maybe there's another part of it that has to do with us having too small a view of the God that we would ask for help from as well. Is he actually strong enough to help me? And if he is strong enough, does he even care? Psalm 121 says, yes, he is strong, and yes, he cares. He's strong. It says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist, as he looks up to the hills, he's reminded that his help comes from the one who made those hills. He made the hills. He made the plains. He made the sky. He made the stars. He's the all-powerful creator of the universe. He created everything by his powerful word. He said it, and it was. That's the God who helps. Yes, he is strong enough, isn't he? But yes, he cares too. The help comes from the Lord, all caps. The Lord, the covenant name of God. He's not just the one who sits up in the heavens and forgets about everything else. No, he has promised to his people that he will be their God and they will be his people. When they were in slavery in Egypt, God heard the people's cries and he saw and he knew He is the Lord who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Yes, he cares. We're smaller than we think, and he is much bigger than we could imagine. How can we look anywhere else for our help? Now, we may say that we trust God for our help, but do our actions demonstrate that something isn't quite connecting Do our actions demonstrate otherwise? When we face challenges and trials in our lives, when we need help, do we ask for help? From God? Do we pray? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Go to God for help. And we go to God for help since he's worthy of our confidence. Verses 1 and 2 make this statement of confidence, this confident statement, my help comes from the Lord. And then verses 3 to 8 give us a different description of the help that the Lord gives. And these descriptions are like stair steps that take us deeper and deeper into confidence in the help that the Lord provides. You notice a a shift that comes in verse 3. Verses 1 and 2 are in the first person, my help Me, my, and then in verses 3 to 8, it shifts to the second person, you, your. There are a few different views on what this means. It could be that a fellow or traveler jumps into the conversation and is encouraging the psalmist in his confidence in the Lord. It could even be a priest who's walking with some pilgrims and inspiring them as they journey Or some have even thought that maybe it's a soloist singing the first two verses and then a chorus comes in in the second part. And these are all certainly possible, but 
to me, it seems most likely that this psalm is the internal dialogue of the psalmist, the traveler preaching to his own soul the various reasons that he can think of that God is worthy of his confidence, that he can go to God for help. And the first of these he says to himself is that God keeps your steps at all times. Keep is the, the, the key word in verses 3 to 8. It, it has the sense of keeping safe, watching over, looking after, holding fast, keeping. And so in verses 3 to 6, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So the Lord, the God of Israel, will keep your steps. He will not let your foot be moved, the psalmist says. What great encouragement that would have been to a weary traveler. The road would have contained potential dangers or opportunities to misstep or get off course. And there's this sense that God is keeping the traveler, keeping him steady on the road, on the journey. And as he does this, he never takes a break. Not even for a little bit. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. Other false gods that people would have worshipped at the time, um, they, they were seen to be mar- far more fickle and fleeting, needing a nap, perhaps even. It brings to mind the example of Elijah's encounter with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, where the prophets of Baal are, are walking around their altar, calling out to Baal to help them, and nothing happens. And Elijah is kind of taunting them saying he's either musing or relieving himself or on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Those false gods may sleep. Not so the Lord. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. And he keeps you at all times. Verses 5 to 6 speak of God as your shade, protecting you from the harmful rays of the sun by day and the dangers of the moon by night. Travelers in the Middle East would have had to be very careful about exposure to the hot sun, and the night would have presented the additional danger of cover for bandits, robbers, thieves. There were certainly dangers on the journey, and day and night, through the whole course of the day, and even through the whole course of the journey itself, God is able to keep you, to watch over you. To look after your steps at all times. He keeps you on the road. He keeps you steadfast on the journey. I've had the privilege of going to the Grand Canyon once in my life. And it's beautiful. If you've been there, I'm sure you'd agree. And I remember often feeling as I look down over the edge. First, wow, that's deep. But second... Just how steep everything is. I, I would look down and see paths somehow stretching down there. And I, I've been down those paths and I still have no idea how they get down there. And one of the things that, that struck me as I traveled on those paths down is just how easily one could lose their footing if they weren't careful. Just how easy it would be to misstep. One misstep at a single moment could spell disaster. But with the Lord, there's not one single moment when he's taking a break from keeping you and watching over your steps, even when the cliff is sheer on the side. 
There are so many other things that call out for our confidence. They promise that we can trust them when we need it the most. And oftentimes it's things that seem more tangible. We can pour over our latest investment strategy until late in the night when we're financially stressed rather than going to God for help first and foremost. We might more easily open our newest pop psychology book when we're feeling down rather than going to God. Or we might go on a Netflix binge rather than praying when we feel alone. We might try the newest fad diet, hoping for a new me rather than asking God to be the one to renew us. We might build our comfortable, secure life rather than trusting our security to God. It's so easy, isn't it? It's not that bank accounts and books and Netflix are all bad, that they're they're fine and they're necessary in many ways. But none of these can truly give the help that our souls need, can they? One moment the account's full and the next moment the market's crashed. The TV show gives us diversion for a moment, but it ends at some point. Food quenches our appetite and then we're hungry all over again. All these things will at some point take a break from helping us. But the Lord, he never takes a moment off. His help is at all times. Those other things, they might take a break, but the Lord will keep your steps through the journey, on the journey, through the difficulty, keeping you on the road, keeping you on the journey to God. He keeps your steps at all times. But not only does God keep your steps at all times, there's a promise at the end. Verses 7 and 8 promise that he even keeps your life. And I think this is where we get to the crux of this psalm. Because verse 7 is a wonderful promise. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's a wonderful promise. But then we look at it with a little closer detail and we say, The Lord will keep you from all evil? Really? He'll keep you from evil? All of it? Forevermore? How are we supposed to square this one away? Because even in Psalm 120, which we heard preached last week, it describes being in distress. There's lying lips, there's deceits, there's war. Just a few psalms later, we get to Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. In Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. There's still difficulty and distress and pain. How are we supposed to square it with our promise in verse 7? When my health is declining, does it mean that God's promise is faulty? my relationships are in shambles, does it mean that God's promise isn't real for me? If I'm facing persecution for my faith, does it mean that God doesn't really care after all? If I'm suffering, does it mean that God can't actually help? He'll keep you from all evil? Really? So we look right back at the scriptures and 
we try to make sense of this. We know from the scriptures that God does not waste their pain. We see this multiple places, one of which is the early verses of Romans 5. It's one of the helpful passages here. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. God doesn't waste our pain. Then we look at passages like 2 Corinthians 4. We see that God even uses the suffering we endure when we look to him. 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or the amazing promise in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So even our suffering and our pain is not wasted. But I think Psalm 121 is going even deeper than that. Because it says, he will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. But it doesn't promise no pain. And in fact, we can assume the reason the psalmist is asking for help and even reminding himself of this promise is that there's something going wrong. There's something he needs help with. There's something distressing. But it does say that if you trust in him, God will keep you from all evil. And what is evil but to be completely separated from the love of God? On the journey, we will face challenges. That much is clear. Our own experience and even the words of scripture bear that out. There will be difficult times. We will experience pain. There will be suffering. We may well be persecuted for our faith. There are certainly dangers along the way. Maybe that's where you're at right now. You're coming tonight and you're experiencing the complete tornado of all that life's throwing at you. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't dozed off. He's not unable to help. He is the covenant God who made heaven and earth. The same God who is with us in the faraway places of Psalm 120 is the same God who's with us in the depths. He's the same God who's with us on the journey. He will not let you go. And as Christians... This side of the cross, we know God's ultimate help for the traveler, keeping us from true evil. Romans 8 reminds us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The difficulties of the journey? Can they separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8 says no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither height nor neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not help for our souls? Jesus Christ died and rose again and calls you to himself so that you might live now and forevermore kept safe in the presence of your creator. Would you ask him for help tonight? For the first time? All over again? In your place of need? He is the one our souls need. He is strong to save. And he is compassionate and kind. You can go to him. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, God, we do thank you for the salvation and hope and help that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love when we trust in you. And I pray for each one of us here tonight that you would turn our hearts to you, to go to you for help, first and foremost that you would give us confidence that the help that you give is the help that our souls need. And would you please make us, as a church, a church that relies on you more and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.